Well, good morning. Let me ask you to find uh, Acts chapter 4 in your Bibles, please. Uh, for those who are visitors or watching online, maybe for the first time, uh, my name's Preston, one of the elders here, our pastor, uh, Drew Stevenson, his wife, uh, here nearly eight years have left. This is our second Sunday, uh, A.D., after Drew. So... Trust that God will lead us in these times. Uh, it's, it's just been interesting to hear, uh, as we've expressed even so far this morning, the, the struggles that, that come along with life, the unexpected death of a friend, the loss of this job or that issue, health, we understand. And I think we'll find some help today in God's Word. That shouldn't surprise us. Um, a few years ago, Karen and I were helping with some training that our senior organization was doing in, in our home office. and It was a time of transition, so it was someone different leading the training, and uh, he was talking about the realities of cross-cultural living, and at one point in his time, he said, uh, he said something I will never forget. He said, you know, these things, these things are challenges, and the thing about challenges is they're challenging. <laughs> now, those of you who know me will appreciate the sheer amount of restraint it took me to keep from saying, would you repeat that so I can write it down? You know, because it's pretty obvious. Challenges are challenging. He was just fumbling for words. It was awesome. Overall, training was fine. That was a funny moment. We've laughed about it since. But the fact is, it's true. <laughs> challenges are challenging. We face difficulties on a personal level as we've I heard testimony of even a couple of times this morning. And we're facing it as a church in this season that we, that we, in which we find ourselves without a pastor. So in our text today, we find uh, that the church, soon after Pentecost, is experiencing a new challenge, the challenge of opposition. Uh, it's a, something that began that day, in some sense, and continues until today. It comes from different sources, but it's the same thing. We find in their response, I think, some insights for us as a church as we walk through the season, but also for us as we deal with uh, the pain and difficulty of life on a personal level. Now, there's a story behind uh, the text that we'll focus on today, and that starts in Acts chapter 3. So what happened is one day soon after Pentecost, Peter and John went to the temple in Jerusalem to pray. They saw a man who had been lame from birth, and he had been placed there every day to ask for money from people entering the temple. And so he saw Peter and John. He's preparing to ask for money. And, and Simon Peter looked at him and said, you know, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk. And immediately the man was healed. They reached forward, grabbed, put him on his feet. He was completely healed. He's, of course, amazed and excited. He's walking around. He's running. He's jumping around. He's praising God. This, of course... As you can imagine, uh, that would draw a crowd. <laughs> so um, a crowd gathers, they're amazed. They knew this man. Again, people have been placing him at the entrance of the temple for years. Everyone knew this is the, the lame beggar. And so a crowd gathers. Peter takes that opportunity to preach to them, much like he did in Acts 2, just saying simply to sum up, this happened because Jesus, the one you rejected, has been raised and exalted, and this has happened because of of Jesus, now you need to, to repent and turn to him. Well, the crowd 
was soon joined by the, the Jewish leaders, and they were upset. They didn't like what they heard from Peter and John. So they put Peter and John in jail overnight. And the next morning, they summoned him to their council. Now, this is probably very much the same group before whom Jesus had stood, maybe just two or three months before this. Okay. And the council um, asked him, they asked them, you know, how did they do this? By what power they had done it? And Peter says pretty much the same thing. It is by the name of Jesus, the one whom you rejected, whom God exalted, that this has happened. In response, the, the council said, they, they put them out, they deliberated what to do, then brought them back in, they said, okay, we command you to teach, speak no more in the name of Jesus. To which Peter and John replied beautifully, uh, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. So the council threatened them further let them go, and then they returned to the church, to the other believers there. They told them what had happened, and they prayed together. And it's their prayer that I want us to focus on this morning. So let's begin it. Acts chapter 4, beginning at verse 23. It says, When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your, father, of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So I want us to think about four things that I see in their, in their prayer that I think will be a help to us personally as, as we go through life, but also for us as a church as we go through this season. The first is, is simply to rest in the sovereignty of God. Now, by the sovereignty of God, as we have sung about a couple of times this morning, I, I mean that God's exercise of his infinite power for his purposes. It's always for his glory, for our good. It means that God is in control of everything that happens at every moment of our lives. He can't be coerced or manipulated or forced into doing anything or stopping anything. Now, for us as followers of Jesus, this means an emphatic God is for us, not against us. Now, this does not mean God endorses everything that we want, everything that we do, but it does mean that he is for us. He is working relentlessly to make us like Jesus. He is working relentlessly according to a, a purpose that's been in his heart from eternity past, and that everything that happens is part of this purpose for his glory and for our good. I was talking about this with um, some uh, Romanian, or the Romanian church in uh, Vienna a couple of years ago, three or four years ago, and one of the students said, well, why does God need all this glory? <laughs> well, that's a good question. Is God this insufferable egotist? Well, I think it will help us if we have a, a good understanding of the Trinity. Not a good understanding of the Trinity, but you know what I mean. It's like if we understand how, what Scripture teaches, that God exists as Father, Son, and Spirit. Because when we say God is working for his glory, what we find is the Father and the Spirit are working to point us to Christ. They're not 
selfishly needing something from us. And so the Spirit works in our hearts to point us to Christ. The Father says at Jesus' baptism, look, here is my Son whom I love. And Jesus points all, puts all attention to the Father. And so there is this, um, this mutual just pointing toward, toward one another that's, that's beautiful and humble in a way. So we'll come back to this, but let's just look at how this, this early church, these early believers, showed that they were resting in God's sovereignty. The first thing is that they prayed, okay? Just the fact that they prayed. Because difficult circumstances drive us to prayer, right? And that's not a bad thing. When we pray, we acknowledge we don't have what it takes. We are not enough for a situation. That was sort of my prayer before I got up this morning to, to, to speak to you. Just reminded the Lord, in case he didn't already know, I don't have what it takes to stand before you and preach and know that I'm going to answer for every idle word. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not enough for this situation. So we pray. And if we don't pray, that might be a sign that we are, in fact, self-sufficient, that we do think we're enough, that we do think we have what it takes, and we are sorely, sorely mistaken. But not just in the fact that they prayed, but also in how they prayed. First, they called God Sovereign Lord. Okay, that's, that's good. The word that they used really emphasizes God's supreme power and authority. He is, he is the Almighty God. Then they said, you created everything, everything in heaven and on earth and, and in the sea and everything in them. So they gladly acknowledge that God is before all things, he is over all things, including the circumstances. You know, sometimes we'll, somebody asks, how are you doing? And they say, well, I'm, I'm fine under the circumstances. Well, you know, God is never under the circumstances. You know, we are, we are often, all too often, but God is not under the circumstances. And then they said, you know the future. Basically, he is, when they quote the, from the Old Testament, from Psalm 2, they're saying, you predicted that things like this would happen. So they find in God his sovereignty reflected in the fact that God knows the future. He, he predicts it. He declares the end before the beginning. And then they go a step further and they say, actually, uh, you, you've ordained this. As they say in, in uh, uh, verse 28, to do whatever your hand and purpose uh, ordained, predestined would occur. So they acknowledged that their enemies could only do what God had planned beforehand. He could only, they could only carry out what, what he had ordained. So God's in control. Now, sometimes we, we hear this and we think, well, does that mean God ordains um, the, the painful circumstances of my life? Well, we need to understand that, that God does not derive pleasure from our pain. Okay? God is not a sadist. He is not chuckling at our misfortune. He's not callous. His, his heart is is uh, very much a father's heart. But we also need to understand, and I think where we can get sidetracked is when we look at it just today and we forget that there is a larger purpose to which God is working. And we usually don't understand that until the intensity of the moment has passed and we look back and, and we say, okay, now I understand. I see something of why this is happening. The waiting is excruciating. There are things that, that I've experienced that I've been waiting decades for a little insight on, and still, still I wait. But I've, I've gotten enough answers that I know there are more. So we'll get through today. Verse 29, uh, they said, 
They asked God simply to consider the threats, which was a way of saying, God, you take care of, of, of this. So again, they commit the situation to God because they know he is, he is able. Now, you might express this in different ways. You might not feel the same things that they did. You might be in a different situation. But we can follow their example and acknowledge God's sovereignty and learn to rest in it. It is, it is our, our refuge. It's our safe place in difficult and painful times. And the difficult times come, don't they? They, they come to all of us, right? It's hard for us to accept because it seems like we're, we're hardwired to think if we do good, then God's going to give us the good, and he's going to give us the good we want. Okay? And then we do good, and yet it doesn't turn out like we expect. And, and though we won't say it out loud, we, we secretly wonder why God didn't keep his end of the bargain. Now, this doesn't mean we don't lament. And I'm, I'm learning that <laughs> at my advanced age. I'm learning the, the goodness and the privilege that we have to lament before God. That is, we can bring our pain, we can bring the wrongness of a situation to God, and, and some situations are just wrong. There is injustice. There are things that should be different. And so we can bring those things to God, and, and, and we can lament. The Scripture is full of lament. Scripture is, the Psalms have many Psalms of lament. The, the psalmist just cries out, God, where are you? God, why are you hiding? God, don't be silent. You know, he, the psalmist says that because he's not hearing anything, because God is silent. And we need to hear from God, don't we? And part of that lament is saying, God, I've, I've trusted you, and this has turned out bad. So what do I do? God, you are good, and this is wrong. And we just leave this, this loose end here. And we so want it, you know, for, for Americans at least, we, we want things all tied up. You know, you've, if you've been here long enough, you know the difference in the, the Czech movie and the American movie, right? The American movies all have the happy endings, right? The Czech movies, I've, you know, with Netflix, I've watched a few Czech movies, and they just, they just end. It's like, well, you know, where's the happy ending? It's like, eh, life is, this is life. But okay. There you go. And that's sometimes that's where we are. It's just we're, we're waiting for some kind of closure, some kind of resolution, and, and the waiting is hard. But we have to guard ourselves because we, we, if we're not careful, we can become like the elder brother in Jesus' parable of the two sons, where he goes to the father, or he actually doesn't go to the father. He makes the father come to him. But he says, look, I've served you all these years. I've never neglected a command of yours. You never threw me a party. So... Here he is saying, I've done all this for you. You haven't kept your end of the bargain. Well, we just have to trust. God is, in these situations, God is asking for our trust. And this is when it counts, okay? It is when our hearts are full of pain and lament. And this is when it counts. He wants us to trust him. We need to trust him. We have to trust him. We're tempted to listen to our hearts, right? But the Bible never tells us to listen to our hearts. The Bible tells us to listen to him and to speak to our hearts. Okay? And we have to tell our hearts that knowing Jesus 
is greater than anything this life offers us. Jesus is, is someone of such worth and such excellence, so satisfying to the heart, that if we face a choice between wealth and health or comfort or relationships or freedom or life or Jesus, we choose Jesus every time because he is worth more and health and wealth and comfort and freedom and life itself. I often remember that Psalm 63, your loving kindness is better than life. Because sometimes it may come to that. For these, some of these who prayed this prayer, it would come to that choice. Some of them would pay with their lives for the, for the way they prayed in this day. Many of you have heard of Johnny Erickson Tata. Uh, she's been a, a quadriplegic for over 50 years because of a, a diving accident. So it's, I think it's good for us to hear from her on this. She said in a testimony some years ago, I would rather be in this wheelchair knowing God than on my feet without him. It's, now that's easy for me to tell you that. I mean, I know I'm not easy on the eyes, but I'm, I've, I've not paid the price that she has. And yet she would say, 50 years in, I would rather this with knowing God. Knowing God, knowing Christ is more valuable. It's, it's worth more than, than health. Now we're told by some that if we have enough faith, we'll get what we want, right? If we're sick, we'll be healed if we have enough faith. But see, Scripture doesn't, doesn't really tell us that. For example, if we look in the story in Acts 3, the man who was healed was, had been lame from birth. He was known as the lame beggar by the gate, right? He was placed there by others every day to beg for years. This is the temple. This is where Jesus went often. This is where Jesus healed people, but not him. Had he heard of Jesus healing others? Probably. Had he seen Jesus heal people? Not him. Did he? We, we don't know. But I can't help but wonder, had he, had he heard, had he seen, and feel like he had missed out what, what happened to him? Nothing in the story indicates he had any faith at all. When he saw Peter and John, he didn't ask for healing, he asked for money. And he didn't expect to be healed. So here's somebody who was healed, even though it seemed he had no faith. And when we read other accounts of Jesus healing people, the faith that Jesus wanted from them, the faith that he asked of them, was not, do you believe I will do this, but do you believe I am able to do this? He was asking for their trust in him, not a prediction of the future. He was saying, do you trust me? And, and that was when he healed. And so that's the question he asks of us today. Do you trust me? Do you trust me when the friend dies and the diagnosis is cancer and the, the job is lost and the relationship is broken? He's asking, do you trust? This is when it counts, folks. This is when it counts. So, do we pray then for healing and restoration? Yes, absolutely. Do we humbly ask God to show us if there's something in our lives that is causing this and repentance would bring deliverance? Absolutely. Do we put ourselves before God and ask for insight and wisdom to ask what his purpose is in this? Yes, 
Absolutely. I've, I'll confess, I've thought I learned my lesson and told God that and said, it's, it's okay to let the, let the trial pass. I'm good. You can dismiss class now. <laughs> Rarely has any, any effect. And when healing and restoration come, we thank him and we praise him because God does answer prayer. Yes, he is a sovereign God. Yes, he, he works according to a purpose. But he is our father and he hears us. How does all that work? Don't know. Not worried about it. I know he's my father and I'm going to ask. Because we can. He hears us. He answers us. That's, that's what drives this prayer today, right? And when the answer isn't what we expect, we rest in his sovereignty and his goodness. And again, we need to hear from Johnny Erickson title on this. She says this. He has chosen, he has chosen not to heal me, but to hold me. The more intense the pain, the closer his embrace. That's, that's astonishing. It is. And it's powerful. It reminds me of um, a professor I had in seminary that uh, we got close to. Uh, great name. Name was Chester Cadwallader. Is that a name or what, right? We called him Dr. Cad, but uh, Dr. Cad had a, a, a son who was a neurosurgeon, a brain surgeon. Took his own life. And... Uh, you know, it was hard for, for this man, and, I, and I'd had a loss in my own family and was talking to him, and I said, how did you, how did you cope? How did you deal with this? And I mean, his first answer was the sovereignty of God. You know, his, his son hanged himself in a hospital closet. He said, anybody could have come in and interrupted. God could have stopped this at any point. I, I have to trust God is sovereign. I have to trust God is wise. I have to trust God is good. But, I mean, he, he's telling me this through tears. And uh, I believe he and his son are together now, so it's, it's okay. Now, a lot of waiting until that moment. So, while we wait, we rest in his sovereignty. We trust him to show us the next step to take. And, and often we find that God uses people in that process. So it's not a lack of faith to see a doctor if you're sick. It's not a lack of faith to see a mechanic if your car breaks down. It's not a lack of faith to read a Bible that other people translated into a language you understand. And if you have poor eyesight, yes, trust God and pray, but while you're waiting for perfect eyesight, don't drive till you get some glasses, okay? I'm <laughs> just saying. Please, we, we beg you. God is sovereign. He's sovereign every moment of our lives. He's sovereign over the difficulties. He's sovereign over your pain and your, your difficult situation and mine. He is sovereign over this church and the process, the season we are in. He's sovereign over the search committee. It will be amazing to see the story of how God brings the next pastor. I really... We were just sort of circling into ICP when Drew came, and, and, and uh, you know, to hear him tell the story is just fascinating, uh, just a totally unexpected way. And so look forward to hearing another amazing story, God doing amazing things. And he will do that in his timing. Uh, the more I preach, the more you'll pray, I'm sure, for the search committee <laughs> to do its work. <laughs> but that's okay, whatever it takes. So the second thing they did, tells us that we can trust the Word of God. So, as we look at, at their prayer, 
what we see is that it is soaked with Scripture, of course, and, and acknowledging God is sovereign, that's just so, soaked with, with Scripture. But the prayer that they pray actually quotes from the second Psalm, verses 25 and 26. And it mentions opposition to God and to his anointed coming from four sources. And we see in verse 27 how they understood each of those four sources, sources of opposition were represented in what was happening to them. So verse 25, he says, why did the Gentiles rage? Okay. But then in verse 27, they say um, that there were the Gentiles part of this thing. What they meant was the Romans. Okay. Verse 25, they mentioned the peoples devising Feudal things. In verse 27, they mention the peoples of Israel. In verse 26, they mention the kings of the earth, or earthly kings. In verse 27, they mention Herod by name. And in verse 26, they mention the rulers that were gathered together against the Lord. And in verse 27, they mention Pilate. And in verse 26, they mention, you know, gathered against the Lord and against his anointed. In verse 27, they say, that is your, your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed. So they found a... a a very clear parallel in what was happening and to them and what God had said in the psalm. Now, if you remember the story that I just told and you've been reading it, you know that Herod and Pilate and the Romans were really not involved in what they suffered that day. So what is happening here? Well, what is happening is they are seeing their sufferings, this opposition, in light of what happened to Jesus. Because they're saying this is a continuation of the same thing, that what happened to Jesus, it is happening to us. And so, it is exactly what Jesus prepared them would happen. It's what he told them it would happen. So, what was being done to them was what had been done to Jesus. But what was being done to them was also, in some sense, being done to Jesus. There is this idea of, of their identification with Jesus. They identified themselves with him. They're saying, we belong to Jesus, and Jesus belongs to us in this. We are, he has not left us alone, even though you might feel like it. He has not. There's a larger purpose going on here. Do you remember when Jesus appeared to Saul on the road to Damascus? And he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? Do you remember? Me. He said, why are you persecuting me? Now Saul didn't see himself as persecuting Jesus. He saw himself as persecuting followers of Jesus. But in Jesus' mind, there's little difference. And so I would suggest that in all of these things, we see ourselves in light of God's purpose for us in Christ. We see ourselves always as someone in Christ, united to Jesus, and whatever we suffer, we are not alone. This is all part of, of, of God's purpose. But even then, if you're not experiencing the same kind of issue, find it in God's word and trust God's word about it. So let's think about our situation as a church. What does scripture tell us about a church without a pastor? Well, there's no, there's no manual for this that says, okay, <laughs> here's what you do. And we muddle along best we can. But there are scriptures that describe the qualifications of a pastor or, or elder and we find those primarily in 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1. I won't read those, otherwise you'll just tell me to stop preaching and go. So <laughs> you'll, start, you know, you'll start taking that seriously and say, well, <laughs> we need an upgrade. So there are also scriptures that tell us where a church without, where God's people without leadership might be vulnerable. 
and I, uh, two or three came to mind for me. One is what I'll call dispersion. Matthew 26, just before his arrest, Jesus says, you'll all fall away, you'll all basically leave me. And he quotes from Zechariah saying, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. The idea is without a shepherd, sheep are scattered. And I've seen it in churches before when, when there's not a pastor, people stop coming. They think, well, you know, what's happening today? Pastor's gone, Drew's gone. So much is tied to your ministry. And that's, that's not a healthy attitude to take, right? We're grateful to God when he raises up pastors. But at the end of the day, we're all servants. But people, people will think that. I've seen it many times. Think, eh, no pastor there. What's the point? Well, there is a point, right? Then in Romans 16, Paul warns the church uh, against two things. I didn't put that verse in this. Romans uh, 16, verses 17 and 18. He says, I urge you, brothers, keep your eye on those who cause, cause dissensions. So that is one, the idea of problem with dissension and division, and that can happen in a couple of ways. One is, is there are things that, that we just know we're all from different countries. We, if we had our preferences, we'd probably do things different, and somehow having someone like Drew here just like, eh, it's okay. We forget that. It doesn't have to be done quite this way, or I can live with something this way, but without a pastor, sometimes those things can bubble to the surface. So there can be, be conflict over things that, that are secondary, and, you know, it's like, a, I know it will stun you. You'll be really surprised to know that, that my family, like, you know, siblings such that we're sort of quirky. I know that's a big surprise to you. But uh, we get along fine, generally. Uh, in times of high stress, it can get pretty tense. But we kind of know, you know, there are things we don't talk about, that kind of thing. But, again, sometimes the situation brings out the differences and they get acute. So, it is something for us to watch out for in our own hearts. But then he says that, uh, that these are dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching that you've learned. So there is also the problem of, of false doctrine because people can come in, have a variety of people filling the pulpit, just, again, without a pastor, it happens. So be aware of it. And then in verse, um, verse 18, he says, uh, such people are slaves, not of... Not of our Lord Jesus Christ, but of their own appetites. Their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. So there are people who come in with, with smooth speech and yet false doctrine. So there's dissension, there's problems with doctrine, there's that kind of thing. So these are things, again, here's, here's where Scripture speaks to our situation as a church. Now there's a third thing that, that the church did, and that is they stayed in community. So let's notice that Peter and John... That is, the first thing they did was go back to the other believers. They didn't go home, write in their journals. You know, they didn't go home and put something on Facebook. They didn't um, just go home and think about it and, and, and get alone. That's the first thing they did is go to the others. They didn't suffer in silence. They went straight to the other believers who were gathered. They went to them. They shared with them what had happened, the healing, the crowd, the preaching, the opposition, and they prayed together in one accord. They identified themselves together as belonging to Jesus. And they asked for grace to obey him together. So we, we as a church, we walk together through this transition. And in whatever difficulty and pain you are in, um, please don't walk alone. Please know you don't have to walk alone. And know that we will not know 
your pain and, and difficulty and suffering if you don't tell somebody, okay? So please let others walk with you, okay? I know our family's been through some difficult things in the last couple of years, and I'm, I'm grateful that Karen and I have had each other, but I'm also grateful for people who have come alongside us and, and listened to us and, and prayed with us through some, some really difficult and dark times. And uh, I've had friends I didn't know I had, and we're just, it's been hard, but we're grateful that we've not had to suffer alone. And if you need a place to connect, let me just suggest our small groups. There are several of them around the city. Um, find one and connect if, if you haven't already. Now, the fourth thing they did is they obeyed the Lord, and they trusted him to do what only he can do. So they ask, here's what they say. They said first, they said, um, Consider their threat. So this is just their way of saying, God, you take care of the problem. This is bigger than us. Um, we can't handle this. We can't fix this. This is what you said would happen. This is gonna, going to go on for a long time, evidently. So we leave this in your hands. You take note of this. And then, he said, and then they ask, grant us boldness to speak. So that was the part that they were to do. And they asked that God would heal and do signs and wonders. They couldn't do signs and wonders. They couldn't heal, but God could. So basically they're saying, God, you do what only you can do. Grant us grace to do what you want us to do in this situation. And I find myself praying that more and more often. Just, God, I am, I am not up for this, whatever this day holds, but grant me grace to be faithful with what you ask of me today. And somehow we make it day by day. It's interesting, they didn't ask God in the opposition. They didn't ask God, stop this, take it away. That would be probably my first impulse. And we, we learn as we grow in Christ, we learn as we pray. We, yes, we can ask for healing, we can ask for things, and, and yet we have to end that with your will be done, because there are times when we may find ourselves like, like Johnny Erickson Tata, where he doesn't heal, but he holds. And that's, it's hard but it's, it's good. So take note of the threats. You heal. You do what only you can do. Grant us grace to do what you want us to do, and that is, in this situation, speak your word with confidence. Now, you, what you need in, in your situation may not be speaking God's word with confidence. It may be wisdom. It may be restraint. It may be other things. Ask for those things. What I've learned over the years is you ask, and God will give you what you need. It, it may not be exactly what you asked for because we can remember what Drew said to us many times. If we knew what God knew, we would want what God wants and we'd wait for his timing. I said that for memory. I remembered something. Drew should be happy. Now let's see, let's see God's answer. It says that the place where they gathered was shaken, a sign of God's, God's power on them. They were filled with the Spirit and they spoke the word with boldness. Notice that is exactly what they asked for. They asked for boldness. God gave them boldness. Yes, he healed. Yes, he did other signs and wonders. So he answered. He, he gave them what they asked for. Don't be surprised if God gives you what you asked for. And don't be surprised if, if he answers a prayer differently, you realize, ah, if I'd known better, that's, that's what I would have asked for. That's okay. You can trust him. He'll give you what you need for each day. And I find myself praying in these times, God, give me this today. Help me be faithful with what you ask of me today. 
And I will be back tomorrow to ask again. Because tomorrow's not here, yesterday is gone. All we have is, is today in this moment. Now, I have, to, I have to ask first if any of you have ever been in a room where you're praying where the place was shaken. You know, that happened to anybody? Okay. It has happened to me one time in my life. I was a, a university student, maybe been a believer for about a year and a half, and God had, had, God had asked something of me that I just, well, to be honest, I didn't want to do it. I could find all kinds of good reasons to say God is not leading, but the fact is I, I knew he wanted this of me, and I was really resisting, and I was wrestling with God. And let me just say, God always wins those battles. <laughs> okay. So if that's where you are, just save your energy. But um, as I was wrestling with God, at the time I was living in a trailer. So this means, you know, this is a thing that you can hitch to a vehicle, but it was like connected utility, so it was permanent and uh, had a roommate. And, uh, but it had a, you know what the, the trailers look like, and they'll have what we call a tongue that sticks out the front where you can connect it to a vehicle. So... But I, I was dealing with this choice that I had to make before God, and I'm on my face praying one night and, and in my room in that trailer, and, and I'm praying and just crying out to God really for, I mean, what I was saying is I want to know this is your will, but I think God and I both knew <laughs> I just needed to bring my will into alignment with his. But as I was praying, the trailer shook. I thought, I, Oh, well, what was that? And then, of course, immediately I thought of the story. It's like, okay, it's pretty cool. I came out of my room. My roommate came out of his room. He said, what happened? I said, don't know. I was just praying and the place shook. I literally said it like that. It's like I was already feeling pride, you know, proud. Like, yeah, spraying and the place shook. So we're kind of wondering what had happened. Heard a knock at the door, and it turned out a guy was driving by in a big truck, and he had hit the, the tongue of the trailer, which is the first part that, that, that you connect to a vehicle. And, of course, I was at the opposite end, so when he just grazed it a little bit, of course, it felt like an earthquake to me. But So uh, it wasn't a terribly spiritual experience. I, I will tell you that, that God did give grace uh, to obey him in that situation and uh, bless me in that many times over. Uh, every now and then, I, I even today, I... Hear a little fruit from the relationships that were formed out of that choice. Um, so uh, if you're wrestling with God, just know he's going to win that battle one way or the other. So um, let's just remember as we walk through the difficulty and pain of this life, the, the unpleasant surprises, the painful experiences, we really can rest in God's sovereignty and trust him. And that, that's what he wants. Trust him. And, and this is when it counts. This is when it matters. And we can trust his word. We need to interpret it correctly. We can give you resources for that. Stay in community. Do not walk through this alone. And trust him to do what only he can do. And ask him to give you grace to obey him day by day. We can pray like this. We can pray like they prayed, because Jesus died and rose again for us, because he willingly identifies himself with us and calls us his own, and we can call him our own. This may all seem strange to you. If it does, um, you just need to know Jesus died and rose again.
that we might know forgiveness, that we might know freedom, that we might have fullness of life in Him. If you want to know more about this, please see one of us after the service today. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are indeed the sovereign Lord. You are sovereign over all. Thank you for the truth of your word, that we can always trust your word. Lord, help us to humble ourselves, make our needs known to one another, to not walk alone through the pain of this life, to know that that there is much more to life than pain, that though the pain is there, there is also joy. We thank you for examples like Johnny Erickson Tata. We thank you for the examples of, of these believers that we heard about. I thank you for my professor, for Dr. Cadd, and uh, just the profound influence he's had on, on so many. We thank you that uh, you will give us grace to obey you day by day. And we commit to you now and just in, invite you are listening, just whatever this situation is, that you want to commit to him just again, and, and know you've probably done it ten times this morning, we'll do it again. Just say, Lord, we commit this to you and ask you to do what only you can do. Grant us grace and wisdom to do what you ask of us today. Grant us the words we need, grant us the wisdom for decisions, grant us and I pray this for my friends here today who are listening in the room or online. Grant us grace and wisdom to obey you today, please. We thank you and we, we look forward to looking back and seeing how you have really done some great things. So we ask you to grant us grace while we wait because if the waiting is hard, you know it's hard. But we trust you, and we trust your timing. So your will be done in Jesus' name. Amen.